A very good morning to my brothers and sisters in Christ and also to the friends and guests that join us here in person this morning, as well as those who are online. Uh, we welcome you to the worship services of Eastside Church of Christ and thank you, thank you for taking time off your precious morning to come and worship God together with us. This morning, I've chosen to speak on the topic, This Matter is Your Responsibility. You know, to many today, responsibility has become a dirty word and many shy away from it even as they want the benefits that come from these responsibilities. Take for instance, people do not want the responsibility that comes, people do not want responsibility that comes with citizenship. They do not like to pay taxes, they do not want to serve their national, national service, but yet they want the subsidies that come from these, from these uh, privileges. So they vote for policies that will allow them to have benefits. Today, there's a red hot button topic which is that of the National Reserves. People say, don't raise taxes. Instead, let us take from the reserves so that uh, we can have more to spend, but yet we pay less. In essence, we are actually robbing from future generations, but people want the blessings, but they do not want the responsibilities. Likewise, when it comes to marriage, people do not want responsibilities, isn't it? They don't want the duty of chores, of responsibilities, of that to plan for the future, of budgeting, of taking care of the other person but they want the conjugal rights. They want to have the, the privileges that come with it. And so they practice cohabitation instead. Even in Christianity, even religion, it is the same. People do not want responsibility that comes with Christianity. For instance, the responsibility to worship God on the first day of the week, the responsibility to serve. They want the blessings, but not the responsibilities. So they embrace false doctrine, doctrines that negate personal responsibility. And what are some of these doctrines that the denominational world has taught us? For instance, people want to believe in predestination, that your salvation is wholly dependent on God. It's not my responsibility, it's God's responsibility. If I'm not saved, it's not because of my fault, it's not because of my choices, but it's because God has not selected me to be saved. This gives them a lot of comfort knowing that it's not my duty. If I'm not saved, tough luck, because God has not chosen me to be saved. If I'm saved, well and good. And some also believe in salvation by faith alone. If I'm saved, I also don't want responsibilities. Don't tell me that I have to come to church every first day of the week. Don't tell me that I have to serve. Don't tell me that I have to give to God's work. Don't tell me I have to give to the poor and take care of them. All these are responsibilities that I do not want. And so because of that, they prefer to have believe in such doctrines as salvation by faith alone. I believe alone and I'm saved. That's it. Full stop. Nothing more. But you know, a servant, a Christian who is not serving is actually an oxymoron. Because Christians, we are called servants of the Lord, right? Have you come across a servant that does not serve? If you employ a domestic servant, if your servant says, I do not want to do anything, uh, what would you do? You'll probably sack the, the domestic helper. Uh, say, you are here to help, to take care. You are supposed to serve. In fact, you know, one of the Disney songs that I like is actually called Be My Guest. Uh. Uh, the the, the show, show shows that the the the, pot, the pots, the pans, the clock, the candlesticks, uh, they become transformed. And for a long time, they have not been used to serving. And they lament the state of things. And in this song, it says a stanza that says, Life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He's not whole without the soul to wait upon. I think that describes us as Christians, isn't it? If you think about a Christian who is not serving, it's so unnerving thinking that, when Christ comes again, what if he comes again tomorrow, I'm not in a safe state. 
and we are not whole. When there's no one that we are serving, we do not serve God, we do not serve man, then we lose our purpose in life. And so some people want to have the idea, salvation by faith alone. But some go even further. They may say that I want to be saved, but I don't want to change my way of life. I want to practice and live in sin as I've always done. There are habits that I cannot get rid of. And so they introduce the doctrine of once safe, always safe. Once I'm safe, I'm guaranteed safe no matter what I do. I can go back to my old way of life, gambling, smoking, cheating, and that doesn't matter because once I'm safe, I'm always safe. I'm baptized, that's it. Don't tell me that I have to change my way of life. And so we shy away from the responsibility. We shy away from accountability. But even in the lost church, sometimes we do are guilty of pushing responsibility to others as well. For instance, we leave the responsibility of soul saving to the elders, to the preachers. Let them be the ones who do the soul saving. We just have to be able to support them in the work they do. We don't have to do anything. And we leave the responsibility of serving to the ICs, to the deacons in the church. We say that they are the ones that are selected to lead. Let them do the job. My job is to make sure that they are doing their job. And we also sometimes leave the responsibility of teaching and educating our children to the Bible class teachers, don't we? Maybe you just bring them to church. Let the church teach them. If they do not grow up well, they do not become faithful Christians, well, it's not my fault. It's the Bible class teacher's fault who have not taught them well. Again, we abdicate and we push these responsibilities to others instead of taking them upon ourselves. Well, let's consider a passage in the Bible in Ezra chapter 10. And this is where the topic for today is taken from. In Ezra chapter 10, we see that the people realize that they have sinned against God. They sinned against God when they intermarried with the pagan wives. They took upon foreign wives, which God had commanded them not to do so. Because God told them that these people will draw you away from serving God to serving idols. You will become unfaithful. You will become like people of the world. And so, when Ezra brought this to their attention, what was the response? They actually urged Ezra to lead them in national reform by telling them, this matter is your responsibility. But notice they also added, we also are with you. They say, yes, you are the one who's supposed to lead us, but we will support you. We will do as you have said. The King James Version says, this matter belongs unto you. But this is actually the New King James translation. So this is where we get our topic for this morning. This matter is your responsibility. And in this morning's sermon, we want to consider how spiritual growth is actually a collective responsibility. Not just the elders, not just the Bible class teachers, but all of us have a responsibility to play. But let's first talk about the responsibility of the leaders. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like for you to mark your Bibles at Ezra 10 because this is where we'll focus most of our attention. At this point in time, let us read from Ezra chapter 10, verse 5 to verse 8, as we consider the responsibility of the leaders of the people. Ezra chapter 10, verse 5 to verse 8. Then arose Ezra and made the chief priests, the Levites, and all Israel to swear that they should do according to this word. And they swear. Then Ezra arose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Eliashah. And when he came thither, he did eat no bread nor drink water, for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. And they made proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem unto all the children of the captivity that they should gather themselves together unto Jerusalem. And that whosoever would not come within three days 
according to the counsel of the princes and the elders, all his substance should be forfeited and himself separated from the congregation of those that have been carried away. So here we see that the leaders had a responsibility. In fact, they had the responsibilities so much so because they were the ones responsible for the sin. You see, leaders have to be responsible for the spiritual growth of the people. But what happens when the leaders themselves have been the ringleaders in the sin? In Ezra chapter 9, verse 1, verse 2, it shows us that the leaders, both the secular and the religious leaders, they were at the forefront of the sin. Why do you think the people were so emboldened to marry the pagan wives? Imagine if you are the only one who did so, uh, you'll be very cautious, right? But when other people around you are doing, especially the leaders, then you'll be emboldened to do so. In today's context, I think uh, Paul was sharing with us a lesson uh, on Thursday, talking about uh, uh, the topic about marriage, divorce and remarriage, where we look at the Sermon on the Mount. It's more about how the divorce rate has been going up. In our parents' times, the divorce rate was very, very low. Uh. Why? Because people say it's a shame uh, to talk about divorce. But today, everybody else is doing it. So it became something that people are so used that they don't see as, a, as a, anything like embarrassment, something that is wrong, because everybody else is doing it. In the same manner, during the time of Ezra, the leaders were the ones involved in the sin, and that emboldened the people. In fact, in Ezra chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says, when these things were done, the princes came to Ezra and said, the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, can you imagine the priests and the Levites, the leaders, the teachers of the law. They have not separated themselves from the people of the land and they did according to the abominations even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. They intermarried with all these foreign women. These were the spiritual leaders that should know better, but yet they were teaching others that God says not to do so, but they themselves were doing it. So the religious leaders were at fault. And verse 2 of Ezra 9 says, they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of the lands. And yet, the hand of the rulers, the princes and the rulers, have been chief in this trespass. So the priests, the Levites, the princes, the rulers, they were the ones, the ringleaders in this sin. So this was the problem. God's people were not leading the people in the right way. And so there needs to be something that needs to be done. And so we see what is the solution. In fact, these leaders made an oath. They swore an oath, as we see in Ezra chapter 10, verse 5. The chief priests, the Levites, and all Israel, they swear that they will put away the foreign wives. And in fact, they give instruction that the people of Israel had to come to Jerusalem within three days. Those who do not come within the three days, their property, everything will be confiscated. Those who do not want to follow God's law will have a severe punishment. And this was according to the counsel of the princes and the elders. So the leaders were the ones who have sinned against God. And so they make a decision that we will right the sin. We will set the direction for people so that we can be right with God again. No, in Chinese, we have a saying, uh, literally it means uh, if the upper beam is not straight, the lower beam will be crooked. So if the top is not right, then the bottom will follow them. Today, we see that manifested in our world. Leadership, those in leadership in the government, if they are not right, they are not, they are not uh, just, then the subordinates, the followers, will all be corrupted as well. In the family, if parents do not set a bright example for the children, then the children will follow that example as well. So indeed, leaders have a severe responsibility in leading God's people and to be responsible for their spiritual growth. When we consider the history of the Jews, 
we see that the leaders indeed affect the spiritual health and the growth of the people. Consider the king Manasseh. Manasseh is someone who is very notorious. Huh? He's the worst of the kings in that of Judah. Ahab was the worst in the northern Israel, and Manasseh was the worst in southern Judah. In fact, consider what did Manasseh do that caused God's wrath to come upon the people because of his sins and the misdeeds that he lead the people into. We see that God told them they'll be brought into Babylonian captivity. And 2 Chronicles 23 verse 9 says, Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Notice that Manasseh led them to sin. Well, we might think what kind of sin was he involved in? He was practicing idolatry. Well, we might say that even some of the kings also practiced idolatry. What was so wrong for, for that? Well, if you look at the context of 2 Chronicles 33, you see that not only did he practice idolatry, he actually practiced child sacrifices. Can you imagine sacrificing your own children uh, to the pagan gods? That was what this king did. A very cruel and barbaric thing to do. So this was one of the kings that embraced the practices of the Moabites in worshipping the gods, Kibosh, and to worship and to sacrifice their children to the idols. And so because of that, you see that the people followed his lead and they were led into sin. Subsequently, we see that his son, Josiah, was actually a very good king. Josiah, at the age of eight years old, he became king. At the age of 16, he decided to follow God and to be loyal and faithful to God. And of course, one of the things that Josiah did was to restore true worship and to restore the Passover. In fact, in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 33, it says, Josiah took away all the abominations out of all the countries that pertain to the children of Israel and made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God. And all his days, they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. So here we see that on one hand, Manasseh led the people to sin, to corruption, to do worse than the Gentile nations. But on the other hand, we have Josiah, who set a good example. And notice that he caused all the people to serve God. And he caused them to be faithful all his days. They did not depart from serving God. Doesn't this remind us of one character that we are studying now in our adult class? Joshua. Joshua, when he was faithful, we see that the whole generation were faithful. They were loyal and serving God. They were the golden generation that possessed the land of Israel and were faithful to God. So indeed, leaders have great influence. They lead the people, they influence the people for better or for worse. And so in the Lord's church, he has set elders as well. Elders who must set the direction for spiritual growth. In fact, elders need to take upon themselves this responsibility because they are responsible for the souls of each and every individual in the Lord's church. As Hebrews 13 verse 17 tells us that we have a duty to obey them that have the rule over us. So elders have the rule over us. We need to submit ourselves. Why? Because elders watch for our souls and they must give account so that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. So elders have this solemn responsibility to lead God's people. But God's people have a responsibility to follow as well. We are responsible for our personal welfare. But you know, sometimes in the church, people do not like elders. Why so? Because they do not want to be responsible to people. Uh, okay? They don't want the elders to call them, hey, today didn't see you at church. What happened to you? Uh? Uh, why have you not been coming? They do not want to be responsible to elders when elders correct them when they sin, when they have to make public confession, when elders rebuke them for their sins. They do not want them. And so they try their best not to have elders. I've known of congregations that they have tried many years to install elders. 
but yet the man every time will find problems with the candidates. Uh. Oh, this one doesn't teach very well. Uh, this person uh, is also a good choice, but not up to our expectations, not up to our standards. They do not want elders. Why so? Because people do not want responsibility. But in the Lord's Church, we need to aspire towards elders. In fact, when we have men, we have candidates that are suitable for eldership, we need to encourage them, we need to support them. And here inside, we are hoping that within the next five to 10 years, we can have an eldership. But the members must support them and honour them in the work that they do. And elders are so important because they set the direction for spiritual growth. If you look at ch churches which have elders, compared to churches we have no elders, you can see a difference. Churches that have elders are very structured. They have programs, they actually can grow very well. But when there's no elders, there's no people to look for after the welfare of the brethren, there's no one that's responsible and accountable to brethren, then the growth becomes slowed down. So we need to look towards having an eldership. And elders are responsible for the members. In what ways? Elders feed us with the word of God. As Acts 20 verse 28, we see that Paul told the elder officers that they have this responsibility to take heed unto themselves and to all the flock, referring to the church, over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God, which you have purchased with his own blood. So notice that elders are overseers. They oversee the church and they have a responsibility to feed the members to make sure that they are doing well and growing spiritually. Elders also have a responsibility for spiritual growth by defending us against false teachers and preventing false teachings from entering into the church. In fact, one of the qualifications for elders is that he must be apt to teach, uh, able and well, well, well knowledgeable so that he can be able to teach, and also to be able to defend against false teachers. As Titus 1 verse 9 says, that they are to hold fast the faithful word as they have been taught, that he might be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So they must be able to encourage and also to be able to re refute false teachings that creep in to the lost church. And thirdly, elders also have the responsibility for spiritual growth by correcting us when we have sinned against God. When we are engaged in sins, there are even though nobody else knows but the elders, they have to have the duty and the love and the care enough to tell brother that, and sister that we have sinned against God. They have to be able to have the concern such that when we are not present at church, to be able to be responsible for us and ask, why are we not at church today? Is there anything that we can do to help? They are responsible for our spiritual growth. And so 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12, Paul says that we beseech you, brethren, to know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So these elders are over us, uh, so they have authority. We cannot question them, why are you questioning me? Why are you correcting me? Because like our parents, our parents have authority over us. They love us and so we submit to them. We follow their lead. They correct us. In the same way, elders are like our spiritual parents. They look after our welfare. They correct us for our spiritual well-being. And so the responsibility for spiritual growth lies with the leaders. But not just the leaders alone, because the responsibility of spiritual growth lies with the people as well. All of us are responsible for the spiritual growth of one another. Let's continue by looking at Ezra chapter 10, verse 9 to verse 15. And so we have set the backdrop. The leaders have been involved in the scene. They ask the people, all of us are together at Jerusalem within three days. And notice what were these people to do? Ezra chapter 9, Ezra chapter 10, verse 9 to 15. Then all the people, all the men of Judah and Benjamin, gathered themselves together unto Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month or the twentieth day of the month. And all the people sat in the street of the house of God 
trembling because of this matter and for the great rain. And then Shua the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. Now therefore, make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure, and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As you have said so, so must we do. But the people are many, it is a time of great rain, and we are not able to stand without. Neither is this a work of one day or two, for we are many that transgress in this thing. Let now our rulers of all the congregations stand, and let all them that have taken strange wives in our cities come at appointed times, and with them the elders of every city, the judges thereof, until the first fierce wrath of our God for this matter return from us. So here we notice that the people took responsibility. They were involved in this sin, though they wanted to correct themselves from this sin. And so here we see that God's people, everybody, are responsible for the spiritual growth of those around us. In fact, we see that many of the Jews have been involved in this sin. Yet the leaders were the ones who led them in the sin. But they cannot escape responsibility because they were the ones who chose to follow the bad examples of the leaders. In fact, in Ezra chapter 10, verse 13, notice that they say, we are many that have transgressed in this thing. As I mentioned earlier, if you are the only one doing it, probably you'll feel ashamed, you'll stop doing it. But when everybody is doing it, it becomes much easier, isn't it? We talk about the idea of influence. A lot of us follow peer pressure. If everybody is doing the same thing, well, we will follow the same thing. In Chinese, there's a saying that says, uh, you know, when I was young, uh, I have this misunderstanding about this proverb. Uh. I say, what is ching zu zhe ci? When I think about zu, uh, the only zu I know is pig. Uh. So I thought, ching zu zhe ci means you eat, you eat the pig when it's near. Uh. You know, when I was younger, my parents would tell me that eat what, what I said before, you don't, don't, uh, don't be so fussy. So I always had this idea that ching zu zhe ci uh, means that you eat the pig that is said before you. But of course, that's not the case. Ching zu zhe ci, the word zu actually refers to cinnabara. Uh. It's like something with a red pigment. So when you touch the red pigment, your hands become red. Okay. So when you are near the, the, the cinnabar, you become red, you become scarlet. But when you are near the ci, it means the, the peach. Huh? You touch the peach, your hands become black. So the idea is that whatever you are close to, you become part of it. You are close to something that is red, you become red. You are close to something that is black, you become black. So God's people is the same. If you are around people that are spiritual, they are holy, they have high standards of righteousness, well, you get elevated to a higher spiritual calling, isn't it? You become more responsible. You also become uh, influenced to do the right thing. But imagine if you are, you are following people who have no care about responsibilities, who do not uh, talk about serving God, who are, care, who, are, who are lukewarm at the church at Laodicea. What happens? You also become like them. You follow their standards. You say, I don't need to do so much. Everybody is also very comfortable. Let me follow the standards that they have set. So God's people have an effect, have an influence. When we set a high standard for ourselves, Everybody helps everybody to come to a higher standard. But where we set such low bar for ourselves, all of us become very spiritually lukewarm. And so that was a problem because everybody had been involved in this sin. So what was the solution? The people decided that they had to do something quick about it. Huh? So within three days, they gathered themselves in Jerusalem. Okay? All of them come together and they agreed that they will separate themselves from the pagans. And they told Ezra, as you have said, so must we do. They decided that since we are involved in this sin, we need to take personal responsibility. Let us get rid of the sins ourselves. 
And so from here, we learn that God's people affect the spiritual growth of all those around us. I can't say that I do my own thing. I do me, you do you. I don't matter. Don't think, about, don't think that I might be responsible to you. Well, we are responsible for one another because people are looking up to us. The younger children are looking up to the older adults. They are looking at the aunties and uncles here. We are the res responsible for the examples we set to them. And likewise, we see that God's people affect those around them. Consider the Corinthian church, the church at Corinth. We see that the Corinthians were puffed up. Uh, they have not rather mourned that the one that had done the sin of sexual immorality might be taken away from among them. What was happening in the church at Corinth was that there was a man who had his father's wife. But instead of the church being sorry about it and contrite about it and rebuking the sin, uh, the Bible says they were puffed up. Uh, they were very proud. Uh, wow, we have this kind of sin that nobody else dared to have. We are so, so proud of ourselves. Isn't this like the people in the time of Judges? Uncle Tien Singh, where you threw with us about what of Judges? Uh, where you remember the people, the Benjamites, right? They were committed a sin. Uh, they raped the, the Levites' concubine. But yet these people refused to hand up the men that committed the sin. They say, we will fight you to the death. And of course, we see that God punished them. They were almost exterminated, except for God's mercy upon them. So you see that when people are proud about our sin, everybody gets emboldened and they commit the same thing. So today, when God's people do not rebuke sin, they do not show up the sin. What happens? Other people who are newer in the faith, younger Christians, they'll say that, hey, everybody else doing it, so I can do the same thing as well. So we need to be responsible for one another. When we are not doing the right thing, people are emboldened to follow the sin that we do. On the other hand, we see the church at Thessalonica. We see how the actually was commanded by Paul because of this congregation that was so loving, that was so active. In fact, when Paul writes to them, Paul gives thanks for them because their faith grew exceedingly. Why so? Can you imagine that everybody here was very faithful, very zealous. And so when you don't come and you feel very embarrassed, uh, oh, everyone is here except me, uh, you feel that, okay, I must, be, I must be more active, I must be more faithful. Well, the influence, the zeal rub off on one another. And the charity of them toward each other abounds. Uh. Okay. People do good to you. You also feel pious. Uh. Every time I accept all the good things, uh, maybe I should return the favor, I should pass it on. So all these things help to influence and affect one another that we become more active in the Lord's church. And so at any side, we need to aspire toward the church at Thessalonica so that we can encourage one another and provoke one another unto love and to good works. And so we see that the elders must set the direction for spiritual growth but the church, we must support them in the work that they do. We must support them so that the church can grow together. You know, sometimes in the church, uh, elders set the direction for spiritual growth, but sometimes members are reluctant to do so. For instance, when elders mark out false teachers, they say, this brother has sinned, this brother is teaching false doctrine. What happens? Sometimes members in the church say, this is the matter between the leaders and the people. Doesn't matter, it doesn't concern me. I will still have fellowship with them. And so the church discipline becomes diluted because they say that, hey, other people still welcome me. It's not my problem, it's the leader's problem. But we need to support the elders in the position, uh, the work that they do, the direction they have set up. We need to support them. When they plan programs for the church, imagine only the elders turn up. Uh, and nobody wants to support us. Uh. It's so discouraging, isn't it? So elders are responsible, but the church are also responsible. We must support them in the good work that they do. And sometimes, you know, people do not like to face church membership. Uh. They say, that, oh, I'm a member of the Lord's church, but I don't want to face membership. Why so? Because they don't have responsibilities, they don't have obligations. If you are part of the Lord's church, maybe the church asks you to teach, asks you to serve in different areas, but people don't want the responsibility. 
But we see in the Bible that it's scriptural to place, response, place membership in the church. We see that whenever Paul travels around, travels around he will worship with your church. But we see that he has a home congregation in Antioch. He goes back on his mission trip, he reports to the church at Antioch. When he was at Jerusalem, he joined himself to the church at Jerusalem. Remember, we said the elders, they have uh, oversight about the sheep among them. Uh. But imagine everybody says, I don't want to place membership. Uh. The elders also don't know who they're responsible for, right? So the influence from the scriptures is that people must place membership in the church so that the church can help them to grow, so that elders can oversee those that they are a part of. And so the church must come together to support spiritual growth. In fact, Ephesians 4 verse 16 tells us that how the body will only be functional when every member in the body pulls his weight. Everybody does his share. Ephesians 4.16 says, For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplier. Every part is doing its work. Every part is working its share. Every muscle, every joint is working. And it says, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, what will happen when every part works? The last part of the verse says, you will make increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So when every part of the body works, what will happen to the body? You will grow well, you will develop well. We know that is the case with our physical body, doesn't it? When your body is all working well, when you want to eat something, when you're hungry, your hand will support you, put the food into your mouth, your body will digest the food, everybody works, then your body grows, right? What happens if your digestive system says, I don't want to work, uh, I want to go on strike, uh? Your, body, your food doesn't get digested, huh? and then you cannot grow. You have started growth. So every part of the body must work. It's like the same with the Lord's church. Every one of us are members of the church. We must do our share, and then the church will grow well. So the church has a responsibility, but we must take care of this, our duties as well. In fact, what does the church help us with our spiritual growth? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 tells us that Christ has set in the church apostles and prophets, of course, these are officers in the first century which have passed on. But Paul also says there are other officers. We have evangelists, we have pastors, we have teachers. So in the Lord's Church, we have evangelists, preachers like myself, we have elders, which we are aspiring towards. We have teachers as well, Bible class teachers. And what does these uh, officers help us? How does these functions help us in the church? Notice, it says, for the perfecting of the saints. Or in the New King James Version, it says, for the equipping of the saints. So the church helps us in our spiritual growth by providing us with the training. The church sometimes have teachers' workshop, preachers' workshop, marriage seminars. These are training that the church provides that we need to be a part of. Because if we don't involve ourselves, how are we to grow? The church also provides us to help us to have opportunities to serve. So Ephesians 4 verse 12 also says, for the work of the ministry. The church trains you so that we can be put to serve. And likewise, we must be members of the church so that we can put into areas of service. So there are opportunities, so many opportunities for us to serve. Next year, we are going to have new programs in the church. We are talking about having mission trips to, to, to visit other congregations. We are going to have back our church camp again. So we, these are areas that require a lot of areas, people to serve. You might say that I can't teach. Well, it doesn't matter. You can help in other areas, showing hospitality, planning programs, helping budget, preparing food, a lot of different areas. So let us look for areas that we can find ourselves contributing in the church. And the church also provides us with sound, sound education. The last part of the verse says, for the edifying, for the building up of the body of Christ. So the church gives us a sound education so that we can grow in our faith, we can develop ourselves, and hopefully in time to come, all of us can be preachers and teachers of God's word. 
And so here we see that the responsibility lies with the leaders. It lies with all of God's people. But ultimately, responsibility lies with ourselves as well. Notice that the people must have a responsibility towards God themselves. So let's look towards Ezra chapter 10, verse 15 to verse 17. Verse 15 says, Only Jonathan, the son of Asahel, and Jehaziah, the son of Tikva, were employed about this matter. And Meshulam and Shabbatai, the Levite, helped them. And the children of the captivity did so. And Ezra, the priest, with certain of the fathers, after the house of their fathers, and all of them by their names, were separated, and sat down in the first day of the ten month to examine the matter. And they made an end with all the men that have taken strange wives by the first day of the first month. So over here, we see that everybody took charge of their own spiritual growth. Just now, we look at the problem before we look at the solution. Now, let's look at it in reverse. We look at the solution first. What was the solution? All the men that have seen surrendered themselves. In fact, notice how speedily that they do it. Uh. It was a time of heavy rain, but they actually did it within three months. The ten day, the first day of the 10th month, they started this uh, correction. By the first day of the first month, three months later, they resolved the problem throughout all Israel. The men they have seen put away the foreign wives, their pagan wives, and made themselves right with God. The children of the captivity did so. And notice that this was within three months, they solved the whole problem. In Chinese, we have a proverb that says, means what? You take responsibility for what you do. If we do things wrong, we bear our own responsibilities. We don't bear, push the responsibility towards others. And this was what they did. What they did wrong, they solved their own wrong. They corrected their mistakes that they have done. Well, all of them, except for four people. Okay. If you look at verse 15 uh, in King James Version, it seems, to, it seems to suggest that only four people were doing this thing. Uh, but actually, it's the reverse. Uh, because according to the New King James Version, which actually uh, explains it better, it says, only Jonathan, the son of Esahel, and Jehaziah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this. And Meshulam and Shabbatai, the Levite, gave them support. So there were four people that refused to do the work. They refused to have to do, make themselves right with God. Well, I can understand why it could be so, because it's a difficult and painful decision. Can you imagine? You have to put away your foreign wives, your pagan wives. These are wives that perhaps you have taken in your youth. Maybe you have spent decades with them, you already have children. Uh, but yet, to make themselves right with God, they had to put away the foreign wives. Today, one of the most difficult commandments to obey, uh, in fact, when I study with people, prospects, uh, sometimes I have to ask them, have you been married before? Because we have to see whether their marriage is scriptural. Because if they have been married, they have divorced and they remarried. Uh, sometimes that's a tricky situation. Because if it's not a scriptural marriage, they have to make themselves right by putting away the unscriptural wife uh, and remain single. So it's a difficult decision for them, I can imagine. You have lived with the wife, you have a family already, you have your own house, and now you have to put away foreign wives. So it's a bit, I can empathize with that decision, although I do not agree with what they are doing. But these people were reluctant to do so, and there were four people that supported them. So what we can see that ultimately, the responsibility for spiritual growth lies with ourselves. We have to be responsible because no one can make us right with God unless we choose to do so. The church can encourage you. Elders can, can, uh, can, be, uh, can try to uh, help you to do the right thing. But ultimately, if we choose not to do so, nobody can force us. So we are accountable for our spiritual growth. One day, we have to give an account to God. Remember the parable of the talents? The five and the two talent men the master told them, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And because they'll be faithful over many things, over a few things, God will make them ruler over many things. And he says, enter into the joy of the Lord. 
So today, if we decide to make ourselves right with God, to be active in His service, we will hear this wonderful news. Well done, Dago and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. But yet, if we have shirked our responsibility, just like the one talent man, he was given talent. But what did this man do? He buried his talent. Uh. He did not do anything productive. And what did the master say? Thou wicked and slothful servant. Yes, you can choose not to be active, you can choose not to be involved, but one day, we will be called to account. And the punishment for him was to cast into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's a solemn reminder to us that all of us have responsibilities towards one another and towards God. And again, we talk about responsibility. Elders can lead. The church can plan progress for spiritual growth. But ultimately, it comes upon us whether we want to be involved. So sometimes when members are asked to serve, to contribute in certain areas, sometimes they get upset or they put your responsibility to others. But we have to recognize that all of us are responsibility or responsible for helping the church to grow. All of us must play our part. As Paul says to the Philippians, in Philippians 2 verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice Paul gave a direct command to each of them. All of you are to work out your salvation. Don't depend on others. We have to be responsible for our own salvation. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so, in what ways do we have to be involved? What we have to be involved in that, we are responsible for our own spiritual growth, our spiritual nourishment, our growth in the knowledge of God's word. We need to grow in the knowledge of God's word. As 1 Peter 2 verse 2 tells us, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The church has opportunities for us to grow. We have midweek classes, we have Sunday Bible classes. Okay? And even outside the church, we also have programs like the four scenes lectureship, the Bible seminars. All these are good opportunities for us to grow. You know, I was talking to my wife that we talk about the lectureship. Uh, the foreigners are the ones that pay money for us to benefit. Can you imagine? They raise funds for the preachers to come here to speak to us. We are the beneficiaries. We don't have to pay a single cent. But yet sometimes I say that, I don't want to go. Uh, very lazy, uh, uh, very inconvenient. But can you imagine people are so willing to, to, uh, to pay for our prayer preachers to come to preach to us. But yet, it's so easy for us to do and we do not want to take use of these opportunities. Likewise, Bible class. Teachers spend a lot of time preparing their materials. We have Paul now going through the several amount of very good series of lessons. But yet, if we don't take advantage of this, we are the ones losing out. So take advantage of these opportunities to grow in the knowledge of God's word. Not just do we grow in the knowledge of God's word, we need to put into practice. And so Peter tells us that we are to not just grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also to grow in grace, meaning to put into practice what we have learned. So we know that faith without works is dead, so we must put what we learn into practice in our life. So we grow in the knowledge and in the grace of our Lord, but we also have to grow in our relationship with others. That's what the Lord Jesus did, isn't it? He grew in wisdom, he grew in knowledge of God's word, he grew in stature, he also grew in favor with God by following the Christian graces, and also he grew in favor with men. His relationship with others developed as well. You know, among all these four, uh, a lot of times we are most focused about the growth in stature, right? We make sure we eat well, we develop ourselves well, we make sure we exercise. But sometimes we neglect the other three. Uh. Wisdom, uh, we don't have time to study the Bible. We don't have time to grow in favor with God. We don't have time to serve in the church. And we also don't have time for our brethren. Uh. Yesterday, we enjoyed a very good fellowship, didn't we? Uh, even though at the end, it was a bit of a wet blanket, uh, it rained a bit, we couldn't really enjoy the picnic. But these are opportunities for us that we come together, enjoy time with others, build up our relationships. Church camps are another opportunity as well. 
home zone opportunities for us to get to know one another, to be able to know one another better. So these are opportunities that we should not put to waste. Use them to grow in our relationship with one another. And so in this morning's lesson, we talk about how this matter is our responsibility. Spiritual growth, indeed, is a collective responsibility. All are required to be part of it. We talk about the responsibility of leaders. And at each side, we need to aspire towards eldership. When we have men that step up, we need to encourage them and we need to look towards the time where we can have elders. We can be scripturally organized and submit ourselves to these elders to support them so they can do their best work in overseeing our spiritual growth. We spoke about the responsibility of the people. And indeed, we need to be part of a faithful congregation that will support our spiritual growth. For those of you who have been visiting with us, if you'd like to place membership inside, do let us know. We're glad to have you to join us in this congregation so that we can help you to be involved in serving the Lord together. And thirdly, we spoke about the responsibility of self. We need to realize we need to take charge of our own spiritual growth by being personally involved in the work of the Lord. This is a picture of our Queen Victoria, an uh, image of her. Uh. You know, it was said that when Queen Victoria was a child, she actually did not know that she was next in line in throne for the, 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 the throne uh, for England. And so her instructors tried to prepare her for the future, but they were frustrated because they could not motivate her. She did not take the studies seriously. She did not uh, pay attention to it. And so finally, her teacher decided that they had to tell her that one day she would be Queen of England, a heavy responsibility placed on this girl at a young age. Upon hearing this, Victoria finally said, then I will be good. And so from then on, the realization that she had inherited this high calling gave her a sense of responsibility that profoundly affected her conduct. From then on, she decided that she is going to behave herself in a way that becoming of a future queen, she took her studies seriously. Brethren, how about us? Has our high calling from God caused us to take our Christian responsibility seriously? The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, that I press toward the mark for the I press toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We do have a high calling. Uh. We have a privilege given to us as Christians. But this privilege comes with responsibilities. Have we taken our responsibilities seriously? As Christians, we are safe to serve, uh, not to be served. Uh. Okay. Remember, we are servants of the Lord. As I said earlier, it's a moxymoron if Christians come to the church and think that I'm not to be served. I'm supposed to let people serve me. We need to really put ourselves out there to serve those who are not members of the Lord's church, to serve others and to encourage others as well. To the friends that are among us, once again, we thank you for your kind attention. Again, we have a responsibility to make because you have the responsibility to make yourself right with God in obedience to His will. You know, we talk about Ezra's time, how the people have sinned against God. But yet, in Ezra chapter 10, verse 2, they, they have an encouragement, they have a consolation. Because they say, in spite of this, there is still hope. There is still hope because our God is a merciful God. He is a loving God. So long as we turn back to Him, He will accept us. He will forgive us. And so in spite of this, you may have lived in a sin uh, your whole life, but there is still hope for you. Well, God has done His part. He has done the difficult part. Sending His Son to come to this earth to die for us, the Holy Spirit has revealed His work to us. But now, we have a responsibility to make ourselves right with God. God has done his part. I cannot say I leave everything to God. I have to do my share as well. We have to be responsible for our own salvation. And so what do we have to do? Well, very simple. The Bible has told us we have to hear the gospel, the word of God. 
After hearing, you have to believe the gospel. The next part could be the one that's a bit more of a hindrance because it comes with responsibilities. We have to repent of our sins to make ourselves right with God. The things that we have done in the past that are wrong, do not do them again. Our affections have to turn away from the world and towards God. We need to repent. But if we can get past this stage of the responsibility, the other two will be quite simple. To confess our faith in Christ before men, to be baptized into Christ, and then of course, to remain before to death, and we will receive a call of life. If any of you are subject to the invitation call and would like to make yourself right with God, to be, take on this responsibility to become a child of God, why not make your request known to the one sitting beside you, to any one of us, and we'll be glad to assist you. And now let us stand and sing the hymn of invitation and encouragement, Must I Go and Empty Handed. Must I go and empty handed dust, my dear Redeemer, me. On one day of service, did him lay no trophy at his feet. Must I go and empty handed must I save your soul? Not one soul with which to breathe, him must I empty handed go. Oh, the years in sinning ways but we hold them now. I will give them to my Savior to this way Oh, 